chapters fourteen to twenty of book eight of history of animals by aristotle translated by darcy wentworth thompson this librivox recording is in the public domain fourteen insects almost all go into hiding with the exception of such of them as live in human habitations or perish before the completion of the year they hide in the winter some of them for several days others for only the coldest days as the bee for the bee also goes into hiding and the proof that it does so is that during a certain period bees never touch the food set before them and if a bee creeps out of the hive it is quite transparent with nothing whatsoever in its stomach and the period of its rest and hiding lasts from the setting of the pleiades until springtime animals take their winter sleep or summer sleep by concealing themselves in warm places or in places where they have been used to lie concealed fifteen several blooded animals take this sleep such as the folidotes or tessellates namely the serpent the lizard the gecko and the river crocodile all of which go into hiding for four months in the depth of winter and during that time eat nothing serpents in general burrow underground for this purpose the viper conceals itself under a stone a great number of fishes also take this sleep and notably the hippurus and corcinus in winter time for whereas fish in general may be caught at all periods of the year more or less there is this singularity observed in these fishes that they are caught within a certain fixed period of the year and never by any chance out of it the marina also hides and the orifice or sea perch and the conger rockfish pair off male and female for hiding just as for breeding as is observed in the case of the species of wrasse called the thrush and the ousel and in the perch the tunny also takes a sleep in winter in deep waters and gets exceedingly fat after the sleep the fishing season for the tunny begins at the rising of the pleiades and lasts at the longest down to the setting of arcturus during the rest of the year they are hid and enjoying immunity about the time of hibernation a few tunnies or other hibernating fishes are caught while swimming about in particularly warm localities and in exceptionally fine weather or on nights of full moon for the fishes are induced by the warmth or the light to emerge for a while from their lair in quest of food most fishes are at their best for the table during the summer or winter sleep the primus tunny conceals itself in the mud this may be inferred from the fact that during a particular period the fish is never caught and that when it is caught after that period it is covered with mud and has its fins damaged in the spring these tunnies get in motion and proceed towards the coast coupling and breeding and the females are now caught full of spawn at this time they are considered as in season but in autumn and in winter as of inferior quality at this time also the males are full of milt when the spawn is small the fish is hard to catch but it is easily caught when the spawn gets large as the fish is then infested by its parasite 
some fish burrow for sleep in the sand, and some in mud, just keeping their mouths outside. Most fishes hide then during the winter only, but crustaceans, the rockfish, the ray, and the cartilaginous species hide only during extremely severe weather, and this may be inferred from the fact that these fishes are never by any chance caught when the weather is extremely cold. Some fishes, however, hide during the summer, as the glaucus or greyback. This fish hides in summer for about sixty days. The hake also, and the gilthead hide, and we infer that the hake hides over a lengthened period from the fact that it is only caught at long intervals. We are led also to infer that fishes hide in summer from the circumstance that the takes of certain fish are made between the rise and setting of certain constellations, of the dog-star in particular, the sea at this period being upturned from the lower depths. This phenomenon may be observed to best advantage in the Bosporus, for the mud is there brought up to the surface, and the fish are brought up along with it. They say also that very often, when the sea-bottom is dredged, more fish will be caught by the second hull than by the first one. Furthermore, after very heavy rains, numerous specimens become visible of creatures that at other times are never seen at all, or seen only at intervals. 16. A great number of birds also go into hiding. They do not all migrate, as is generally supposed to warmer countries. Thus certain birds, as the kite and the swallow, when they are not far off from places of this kind, in which they have their permanent abode, betake themselves thither. Others, that are at a distance from such places, decline the trouble of migration, and simply hide themselves where they are. Swallows, for instance, have been often found in holes, quite denuded of their feathers and the kite on its first emergence from torpidity has been seen to fly from out some such hiding place. And with regard to this phenomenon of periodic torpor, there is no distinction observed, whether the talons of a bird be crooked or straight. For instance, the stork, the owl, the turtle-dove, and the lark all go into hiding. The case of the turtle-dove is the most notorious of all, for we would defy any one to assert that he had anywhere seen a turtle-dove in winter-time. At the beginning of the hiding-time it is exceedingly plump, and during this period it molts, but retains its plumpness. Some cushions hide, others instead of hiding migrate at the same time as the swallow. The thrush and the starling hide, and of birds with crooked talons the kite and the owl hide for a few days. 17. Of viviparous quadrupeds the porcupine and the bear retire into concealment. The fact that the bear hides is well established, but there are doubts as to its motive for so doing, whether it be by reason of the cold or from some other cause. About this period the male and the female become so fat as to be hardly capable of motion. The female brings forth her young at this time, and remains in concealment until it is time to bring the cubs out, and she brings them out in spring, about three months after the winter solstice. The bear hides for at least forty days. During fourteen of these days it is said not to move at all, 
but during most of the subsequent days it moves, and from time to time wakes up. A she-bear in pregnancy has either never been caught at all, or has been caught very seldom. There can be no doubt but that during this period they eat nothing, for in the first place they never emerge from their hiding-place, and further, when they are caught their belly and intestines are found to be quite empty. It is also said that from no food being taken the gut almost closes up, and that in consequence the animal on first emerging takes to eating, arum, with the view of opening up and distending the gut. The dormouse actually hides in a tree, and gets very fat at that period, as does also the white mouse of Pontus. Of animals that hide or go torpid, some slough off what is called their old age. This name is applied to the uttermost skin, and to the casing that envelops the developing organism. In discussing the case of terrestrial vivipara, we stated that the reason for the bears seeking concealment is an open question. We now proceed to treat of the tessellates. The tessellates, for the most part, go into hiding, and if their skin is soft they slough off their old age, but not if the skin is shell-like, as is the shell of the tortoise. For, by the way, the tortoise and the freshwater tortoise belong to the tessellates. Thus the old age is sloughed off by the gecko, the lizard, and above all by serpents, and they slough off the skin in springtime when emerging from their torpor, and again in the autumn. Vipers also slough off their skin both in spring and in autumn, and it is not the case, as some aver, that this species of the serpent family is exceptional in not sloughing. When the serpent begins to slough, the skin peels off at first from the eyes, so that anyone ignorant of the phenomenon would suppose the animal were going blind. After that it peels off the hand, and so on, until the creature presents to view only a white surface all over. The sloughing goes on for a day and a night, beginning with the head and ending with the tail. During the sloughing of the skin an inner layer comes to the surface, for the creature emerges just as the embryo from its afterbirth. All insects that slough at all slough in the same way, as the sylphae and the empis or midge, and all the coleoptera, as for instance the cantharus beetle. They all slough after the period of development, for just as the afterbirth breaks from off the young of the vivipara, so the outer husk breaks off from around the young of the vermipara in the same way, both with the bee and the grasshopper. The cicada, the moment after issuing from the husk, goes and sits upon an olive tree or a reed. After the breaking up of the husk, the creature issues out, leaving a little moisture behind, and after a short interval flies up into the air and sets a chirping. Of marine animals, the crawfish and the lobster slough sometimes in the spring and sometimes in autumn, after parturition. Lobsters have been caught occasionally, with the parts about the thorax soft, from the shell having there peeled off, and the lower parts hard, from the shell having not yet peeled off there. For, by the way, they do not slough in the same manner as the serpent. The crawfish hides for about five months. 
crabs also slough off their old age. This is generally allowed with regard to the soft-shelled crabs, and it is said to be the case with the testaceous kind, as, for instance, with the large granny crab. When these animals slough their shell becomes soft all over, and as for the crab it can scarcely crawl. These animals also do not cast their skins once and for all, but over and over again. So much for the animals that go into hiding or torpidity, for the times at which and the ways in which they go, and so much also for the animals that slough off their old age, and for the times at which they undergo the process. 18. Animals do not all thrive at the same season nor do they thrive alike during all extremes of weather. Further, animals of diverse species are, in a diverse way, healthy or sickly at certain seasons, and in point of fact, some animals have ailments that are unknown to others. Birds thrive in times of drought, both in their general health and in regard to parturition, and this is especially the case with the cushant. Fishes, however, with a few exceptions, thrive best in rainy weather. On the contrary, rainy seasons are bad for birds, and so by the way is much drinking, and drought is bad for fishes. Birds of prey, as has been already stated, may in a general way be said never to drink at all, though Hesiod appears to have been ignorant of the fact, for in his story about the siege of Ninus he represents the eagle that presided over the auguries as in the act of drinking. All other birds drink, but drink sparingly, as is the case also with all other spongy-lunged oviparous animals. Sickness in birds may be diagnosed from their plumage, which is ruffled when they are sickly, instead of lying smooth as when they are well. 19. The majority of fishes, as has been stated, thrive best in rainy seasons. Not only have they food in greater abundance at this time, but in a general way rain is wholesome for them just as it is for vegetation. For, by the way, kitchen vegetables, though artificially watered, derive benefit from rain, and the same remark applies even to reeds that grow in marshes, as they hardly grow at all without a rainfall. That rain is good for fishes may be inferred from the fact that most fishes migrate to the yuxin for the summer. For, owing to the number of the rivers that discharge into the sea, its water is exceptionally fresh, and the rivers bring down a large supply of food. Besides, a great number of fishes, such as the bonito and the mullet, swim up the rivers and thrive in the rivers and marshes. The sea gudgeon also fattens in the rivers, and, as a rule, countries abounding in lagoons furnish unusually excellent fish. While most fishes, then, are benefited by rain, they are chiefly benefited by summer rain, or we may state the case thus, that rain is good for fishes in spring, summer, and autumn, and fine dry weather in winter. As a general rule, what is good for men is good for fishes also. Fishes do not thrive in cold places, and those fishes suffer most in severe winters that have a stone in their hand, as the chromis the bass, the skyina, and the braise. For, owing to the stone, they get frozen with the cold and are thrown up on shore. Whilst rain is wholesome for most fishes, it is, on the contrary, unwholesome for the mullet, 
the cephalus and the so-called marinus for rain superinduces a blindness in most of these fishes and all the more rapidly if the rainfall be superabundant the cephalus is peculiarly subject to this malady in severe winters their eyes grow white and when caught they are in poor condition and eventually the disease kills them it would appear that this disease is due to extreme cold even more than to an excessive rainfall for instance in many places and more especially in shallows off the coast of nauplia in the argolid a number of fishes have been known to be caught out at sea in seasons of severe cold the gilt head also suffers in winter the acarnus suffers in summer and loses condition the coracine is exceptional among fishes in deriving benefit from drought and this is due to the fact that heat and drought are apt to come together particular places suit particular fishes some are naturally fishes of the shore and some of the deep sea and some are at home in one or the other of these regions and others are common to the two and are at home in both some fishes will thrive in one particular spot and in that spot only as a general rule it may be said that places abounding in weeds are wholesome at all events fishes caught in such places are exceptionally fat that is such fishes as inhabit all sorts of localities as well the fact is that weed-eating fishes find abundance of their special food in such localities and carnivorous fish find an unusually large number of smaller fish it matters also whether the wind be from the north or south the longer fish thrive better when a north wind prevails and in summer at one and the same spot more long fish will be caught than flat fish with a north wind blowing the tunny and the swordfish are infested with a parasite about the rising of the dog star that is to say about this time both these fishes have a grub beside their fins that is nicknamed the gadfly it resembles the scorpion in shape and is about the size of the spider so acute is the pain it inflicts that the swordfish will often leap as high out of the water as a dolphin in fact it sometimes leaps over the bulwarks of a vessel and falls back on the deck the tunny delights more than any other fish in the heat of the sun it will burrow for warmth in the sand in shallow waters near to shore or will because it is warm disport itself on the surface of the sea the fry of little fishes escape by being overlooked for it is only the larger ones of the small species that fishes of the large species will pursue the greater part of the spawn and the fry of fishes is destroyed by the heat of the sun for whatever of them the sun reaches it spoils fishes are caught in greatest abundance before sunrise and after sunset or speaking generally just about sunset and sunrise fishermen haul up their nets at these times and speak of the hauls then made as the nick of time hauls the fact is that at these times fishes are particularly weak-sighted at night they are at rest and as the light grows stronger they see comparatively well we know of no pestilential malady attacking fishes such as those which attack man and horses and oxen among the quadrupedal vivipara 
and certain species of other genera, domesticated and wild. But fishes do seem to suffer from sickness. And fishermen infer this from the fact that at times fishes in poor condition and looking as though they were sick and of altered color are caught in a large hull of well-conditioned fish of their own species. So much for sea fishes. 20. River fish and lake fish also are exempt from diseases of a pestilential character. But certain species are subject to special and peculiar maladies. For instance, the sheet fish, just before the rising of the dog star, owing to its swimming near the surface of the water, is liable to sunstroke and is paralyzed by a loud peal of thunder. The carp is subject to the same eventualities, but in a lesser degree. The sheet fish is destroyed in great quantities in shallow waters by the serpent called the dragon. In the Balerus and Tillon, a worm is engendered about the rising of the dog star that sickens these fish and causes them to rise towards the surface where they are killed by the excessive heat. The calcis is subject to a very violent malady. Lice are engendered underneath their gills in great numbers and cause destruction among them but no other species of fish is subject to any such malady. If mullen be introduced into water, it will kill fish in its vicinity. It is used extensively for catching fish in rivers and ponds. By the Phoenicians it is made use of also in the sea. There are two other methods employed for catching fish. It is a known fact that in winter fishes emerge from the deep parts of rivers, and, by the way, at all seasons fresh water is tolerably cold. A trench, accordingly, is dug leading into a river, and waddled at the river end with reeds and stones, an aperture being left in the waddling through which the river water flows into the trench. When the frost comes on, the fish can be taken out of the trench in wheels. Another method is adopted in summer and winter alike. They run across a stream, a dam, composed of brushwood and stones, leaving a small open space, and in this space they insert a wheel. They then coop the fish in towards this place and draw them up in the wheel as they swim through the open space. Shellfish, as a rule, are benefited by rainy weather. The purple murex is an exception. If it be placed on a shore, near to where a river discharges, it will die within a day after tasting the fresh water. The murex lives for about fifty days after capture. During this period they feed off one another, as there grows on the shell a kind of seaweed or sea moss. If any food is thrown to them during this period, it is said to be done not to keep them alive, but to make them weigh more. To shellfish in general, drought is unwholesome. During dry weather they decrease in size and degenerate in quality, and it is during such weather that the red scallop is found in more than usual abundance. In the Pyrian Strait the clam was exterminated partly by the dredging machine used in their capture, and partly by long-continued droughts. Rainy weather is wholesome to the generality of shellfish, owing to the fact that the sea water then becomes exceptionally sweet. In the Yuxin, 
owing to the coldness of the climate, shellfish are not found, nor yet in rivers, excepting a few bivalves here and there. Univalves, by the way, are very apt to freeze to death in extremely cold weather. So much for animals that live in water. End of chapter 20